Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so excited that you're back again this week, and I'm thrilled that you're subscribing and sharing and reviewing the podcast, and it makes me really happy to know and hear how things are going for you on your end. And when you say, oh, that really resonated with me or that podcast really spoke to me and that's what I'm here for. And that's why I bring on these amazing guests so that they can speak to you and that you can have some peace in your life. So today I have another amazing guest and a person that I am now calling my friend. Canon Ernest Graham is with us today in the house, in the Gay With God house. And I love, I love the description that he gave in the very beginning of his bio. He says that, you know, his name is Ernest Graham and he's a little, his age is a little past life, which I love. <laughs> that was just awesome. So uh, Ernest, Ernest grew up in California and Wyoming. He worked as a graphic artist and illustrator and as a child wanted to be a comic artist. During that time, he got involved in the Episcopal Church and loved it. He felt called to ordained ministry and went to Virginia for seminary and was ordained a priest afterwards. He married an extraordinary woman who was also an Episcopal priest. They have a son named Evan. I ser- he served in churches in various parts of Virginia. He did return to his artwork, making graphic novel translations of the Bible. Three books were published. The Unlikely Chosen, which features the stories of Jonah, Esther, and Amos. The Parables of Jesus and James. A Letter to the Scattered. I ha- he has also done numerous other Bible comics found on his website. He came out as gay in his early 40s first to himself and then to his family. His wife and he tried to make his mixed orientation relationship work for a time, but ultimately they decided to separate and divorce amicably. They still care for each other and work together as parents. He now lives and works in North Carolina. He is happily married to his husband, Ed, and they live in Charlotte with their two dogs, and he still does artwork. And if you ever follow him on, on Facebook and you see some of the art that he does, it's, it's amazing. I don't know how you do the, um, the uh, graphic things that you do and the, on the digital art, but it's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just so wonderful. So welcome to the Gay With God podcast. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you so much. And first of all, Mitch, I want to say how much I appreciate the podcast and all of the interviews that you do. This is exactly the kind of thing that I was looking for when I came out, um, because I think part of coming out was just such a lonely experience, Mm. um, especially when you've kind of blocked yourself off from that part of your life and that part of the world. So Mm. it's just been an inspiration to listen to the stories. And so I'm uh, I'm happy to be a part of that and, and just so thrilled at the ministry that you're doing through oh, this. Thank you so uh, much. I'm, I'm so grateful to hear that. And I'm glad that you're going to now be a part of the Gay of, with God podcast that are going to reach so many other people. So, so I'm excited to get started. So tell us your story. Sure, sure. It, it's interesting. Uh, when I was 
I was nervous about the possibility of sharing this online with people mm -hmm. because it's such a personal story. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got a journal and I just started writing in my journal and I filled up the whole thing. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> kind of to go over my life and my story, just kind of pull it together and see what the themes are. And God, the first, the first, you know, the first half of the book was so painful because there are so many hard experiences that I go through, I went through. And I know that there's, there's, there's nothing in there that we haven't heard on your podcast already, because, you know, the, the themes of being bullied and, and, and trying to struggle to figure out what's going on mm -hmm. um, are, are, are pretty common for people who are on the LGBTQ spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, but I reached a point as I was doing this journaling, and this was, uh, this was very healing for me. I reached a point where I realized why am I letting my pain and the things that people have done to me define my story and my life? Mm. Because I'm actually in a very good place at this point, And mm -hmm. I'm very grateful that I came out as hard as it was and, and to feel a wholeness that I didn't have before. So I, I began to journal about the people who helped me along the way, even in the unknowing um, even through the hard times and especially as I actually came out mm -hmm. and so I just just having the perspective of all the people who were there for me who listened who cared who loved me even if that love was incomplete um, but but helped me along the way was such a grace so for me just the fact of, of coming forward with this has been a very healing process for me mm. I love that and I love what you said about even in the unknowing that people, even though they didn't, you didn't know yet, they were there to provide support for you for whatever you needed. And I'll go on this little tangent because that also makes me think that even in our unknowing as gay people, we may not know that God really does love us because we're taught that he doesn't. And even in our unknowing, God is present to provide us with those people that say, you know, you're a good person. Keep going. Don't quit. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. oh, that was beautiful that you said that in the unknowing. So, okay. I'm sorry I interrupted. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it's interesting in terms of coming out as, as gay, I didn't get to that place until I was in my mid forties, mm -hmm. but that's not to say that there weren't inklings of that earlier in life. So as a child, I knew and felt that there was something different about me than there was from my brothers and from my friends, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you hit nine, 10 years old and they're fascinated with girls. Yeah. And I, I absolutely loved and adored girls, but it seemed to me in a very entirely different way than they did. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so th there was a difference there. The, the other thing was, is that I don't know that the kids that I grew up with, they must have picked up on something that I didn't see in myself because they called me all those names. They called mm. me everything mm. and, and, and brutally um, teased me and bullied me for mm. years for, for qualities and traits that I didn't really have much control over or have mm. say over. And, you know, the, the, the ironic thing as I look back now is if they were picking up on something that I couldn't see in myself, Mm. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to be in a world where you could just, people could pick up on that and that would be okay. Yes. Because honestly, I can look back at it and say, there was nothing wrong with me. Right. There was nothing wrong with me. But the connotation that I got from, from them was, we think you're this 
and we're going to call you names and we're going to beat you up and we're going to threaten you mm. and 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 do that. So it sent a very clear message to me that if you even think about going in that direction, mm. um, it's deadly. Mm-hmm. And it really was. Yes. So I, I struggled with that. Um, there wasn't any information about homosexuality except for it was either a choice that somebody made. And why would you make that choice? Because it will mean hell for your life or it was a sin or it was at, at that time, even the therapists and psychologists in schools and things would talk about it in the language of an illness. Uh-huh. And, and I know uh-huh. that that language had been changed in the psychiatric world before that time, yeah. but that was the message that was still uh-huh. being conveyed. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there was no place really to Mm -hmm. get to know people and to understand it as just a part of my life. Mm -hmm. As, as I look back at that time, it it really was a time of unknowing for me. Mm -hmm. There was nobody to talk to. I I think there were times when I tried to bring it up with family members or friends. And again, the message that I got was, well, it's a choice that they make and it's bad and it's wrong. Um, There were people that tried to fix me. I, I didn't, I didn't really date in high school or or afterwards. I tried. I wanted desperately to have a relationship. I wanted to be normal. Um, But that just, uh, nothing seemed to connect. Mm -hmm. And again, now as I look back, it's like, I wouldn't even have the radar to know if I did pick up on a girl that that, that did that. There was, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. (laughs) I had had wonderful friend relationships. I had, had loving and caring relationships, but I didn't really date in the way that, the people mm-hmm. I knew did. Mm-hmm. And I felt very lonely in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was also, I grew up in the 1980s and that was just as the AIDS crisis was beginning to happen. And the message that we received about the virus was that it was a gay disease, that, that it co- was caused by doing gay things. And those were horrible and unspeakable and wrong. And, and the, the consequences of it were death. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have a relationship with anybody knowing that, that, that could cause you right. that. Right. Um, I, I think I began to turn to religion. I, I grew up in a family that was Roman Catholic, but we went to church at Christmas and Easter for most of that time. <laughs> so we weren't really active. I had friends that went to very, uh, very evangelical or charismatic or very conservative churches that were very quick to condemn I remember the first time I went to a, a vacation Bible school with some friends and, and me being Roman Catholic. And, and when they asked about if you were baptized, I said, yes, I was, I'm a Roman Catholic. And they said, well, you weren't baptized right. And you're going to go to hell if you don't get baptized this way. You know, the, the message that I got from going to other churches a lot of times was a message of condemning in hell. And once the AIDS crisis started to happen, that was what was being talked about in the churches. They were mm. condemning homosexuals because they were causing this disease. Wow. It's not that they were causing the disease. That's the message that they sent. Uh-huh. So, you know, there was a time when I, I absolutely would have been blessed and benefited by actual real information and relationships mm-hmm. and people to talk to. And I didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. And I certainly couldn't talk to my family about it or my mm-hmm. friends. So that, that was a struggle. So how did you make it through that struggle? Did you have to bury it just to survive? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I reached a point when I was in my later teens that I, I tried to commit suicide. Mm. And I never told my family about it at the time. 
Mm-hmm. I, I came very close to doing it and I held it in. And it was, it was in part because of the experiencing that I was having at school and at home, but also other very painful experiences outside of that. Mm-hmm. But I just, I couldn't take it. And I had this mm-hmm. feeling that nobody was ever going to love me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just wanted to give up. And something in that moment kept me back from that. And I think that was an extraordinary grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm grateful that I didn't do that, but I didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. What, what I did after that was I shut my feelings down. Mm-hmm. I, I would have feelings and I would go for a long walk and I would just stuff the feelings as far down as I possibly could. And over time, I would get numb. Mm-hmm. And for many, many, many years, I would go through cycles where I would, I, I would, I would have these periods of of what I what I described as depression at that time, because they would come for weeks at a time or or a month at a time, and it would just feel like this incredible numbness, like I was three feet deep inside of myself. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any help to get through that. Mm-hmm. And and what I what I came to was just an acceptance of, well, maybe that's just part of life for me. Maybe that's just something I go through. And so I would just let those waves come through and I would let it happen. And then I would stay focused on the things that I could do and I'd move on. One of the things that helped me, and I think this was was the grace of God all along, was that there were people in my life who genuinely cared for me. And even if I couldn't talk about what was going on inside, the fact that they cared made a world of difference. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, I had an English teacher who, who could see that there was something going wrong for me. And she never pressed or pushed or prodded on that. But, and, but and I think she could see that I was being bullied too. And I didn't have a safe place to go. And lunchtime was hell. Mm. So she said, I've got a group of kids that come to my classroom during lunchtime. Would you like to join us? And so what I did was I, I started going to her classroom during lunch. I'd pack my lunch and I'd bring it. And there were other kids in very similar circumstances of life that were going through hardships. And we just sat and we talked to each other. And we forwarded our we, we had our own kind of support group there. Yeah. And so, you know, it was those little things that kept me going and gave me hope. Mm-hmm. It was at that time that I, I really wanted to become an artist. So I spent all of my free time drawing because I wanted to draw comic books. So I, I didn't have to interact as much with people outside because I would just go home and read and draw. And and I had a dream of what I wanted to do with my life. And I poured everything into that dream. As I got older, um, again, another person that, that helped me extraordinarily was an uncle of mine, my uncle George, who knew that something was going on in our family. And we were dealing with alcoholism in the household and, and struggling. And he had been in recovery for years. And he tried to do a 12-step call with my parents um, to, to get them some help. And they absolutely refused that. Mm. But I ended up having a conversation with him. We went for a walk. And it was the first time that anybody asked me if, if I believed in God or if I had a faith life or, you know, do I believe God has a purpose for me? And boy, that just opened the door for me. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely did. And we sat and we talked for hours on this little curb um, just outside. Wow. And he shared his own experiences of what happened in his life when he was growing up and then his own experience of alcoholism and he, he talked about Al-Anon and, and finding help. And I ended up going with him for the rest of that summer and, and staying with him and my Aunt Nadine. And they took me to as many Al-Anon meetings as I could go to. 
And so that was that was the beginning of a very powerful mm. spiritual mm-hmm. journey as people were just turning to God for the struggles that they were facing. Mm-hmm. And and I found a lot of healing in that. Yeah. And there was a lot of work that goes into that, but it was it was something that gave me a lot of hope. And so, you know, it, during that time, I found myself kind of on two tracks. I found on the, the, the spiritual journey, the spiritual quest to find healing, mm-hmm. and also the, this desire to draw and tell stories. And I love to do that. And, I, I, and so it, I, I was just blessed with, with people along the way who genuinely cared and mentored me and walked with me through these things. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the way that I, when I turned my own questioning and doubt about my own experiences of childhood, I, I turned that into a desire to understand and know this God who created me mm-hmm. and, and, and to know that that was good. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, the, you know, the, the, the grace of Al-Anon was, is that the, the, the God that they shared wasn't this punitive, you know, God that was going to get you that I'd heard <laughs> in so many of the churches, you know? Yeah. And, and that you could actually have a relationship with God and you could talk to God and prayer didn't have to look like some mechanical thing that, that you did. So that, that gave me a foundation of faith. Uh, one of the things that happened during that time was I did feel a call to go back to church. And, I, you know, I, I tried going back to the church that I grew up in, the Roman Catholic Church. But my experience of that was they got up at Christmas time and said, we know there's a lot of you who aren't in good standing or from other churches or other things. You're not welcome to communion. This was at Christmas. Wow. And so something internally in my mind and heart said, that's just wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that is just wrong. You know, I didn't know much, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> So I stopped going at that point, but the desire didn't stop going because I felt something, even when I was a small child, when we went to church, there was something in that service that stirred in my heart that, mm-hmm. that I longed for. Mm-hmm. So I, I woke up with a morning, one morning with a desire and, and a need to go to church, but I had no clue where, and I prayed about it. And the message that I heard was open the phone book. And so I turned to the yellow pages and St. Mark's Episcopal Church was glowing on the page for me. (laughs) And they had a 10 o'clock service and I could get there. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a strange experience, but, but I I went there and as I was going, I realized the thing that I'd never done in any church was get actively involved. And, and I I was waiting for somebody to introduce themselves and love me. Mm -hmm. And I realized I needed to, to, to take a step forward, Mm -hmm. which I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing was I found a home immediately. They welcomed mm-hmm. me with open arms. They loved me. They, I, I, I got immediately involved in a Bible study and then a men's group. And that was the place where I really discovered the Bible as, as a source of inspiration and hope. That was the place where I first heard about Jesus um, in, in a good way, not as the Jesus yeah. that's going to get you or judge you, but, but Jesus as he is in his stories. And yes. Yes. You know, and, and there was so much life. It was a community that showed me what Christian community can look like mm-hmm. uh, of genuinely caring for each other, supporting each other. By that point, I was working as an artist and I was making nothing. I was living on 25 cent tacos, at Taco Bell and 50 cent hamburgers at the hamburger stand. And, <laughs> you know, they, they would invite me to their house to eat like real food. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And we These are godly people. <laughs> they were. 
And, and they showed me what service looked like and prayer looked like. And I honestly, my, my faith came alive in an even new and beautiful way in that community. And I got involved in everything in there. And, and I, I, felt, I felt an urge in it of going on a very different path than I'd ever imagined, mm. um, which, which ended up being the path towards ordination. And so uh, that, I, I threw myself into that. And, and I, I just, it was as if God was just opening up to me in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So as I look back over my 20s, you know, there was a lot of loneliness. I, I really mm-hmm. did long for a companion. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have children. In my mind, the things that I wanted for, I didn't include probably some of the things that a straight guy would have wanted. But but I, I thought I was even better because I was virtuous and I was waiting for marriage. And, you know, I was, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, but, but honestly, I channeled my energy into, into this faith journey and into the artwork that I was doing in this life that I had. And there was a lot of goodness in it. So mm-hmm. that, that period of my life was a very joyful and time of discovery. And so I, I ended up going to seminary. One of the things that happened um, early on in seminary was, and I know that you know the story of, of Matthew Shepard. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Matthew, who was at that time a, a very young adult who was uh, picked up at a bar and by a couple of guys and they, they took him out and they, they beat him and they, they crucified him on a barbed wire fence in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Matt was a member of my home church. Mm. And I only knew him briefly. We were acolytes together. I was older than he was. He was still a teen uh, with, with his tennis shoes on and, and kind of clicking his tennis shoes as he was sitting there. But uh, a lot of my friends knew him at the Canterbury Club in, at the University of Wyoming, where I had been the year before, just before this happened to Matt. So uh, there, was, mm-hmm. there was a strong connection there. And when he died and was killed brutally, you know, I, I was so connected to my home church where the funeral was that we were talking to each other regularly. And I was talking to friends and the grief that was there. Mm. And it, it, it was it was a visual example of what my worst fears as a child was going home, growing up. And, and again, if you talk about locking that closet door, that pushed it further and further into yeah. it. Yeah. And and I still grieve for Matt, and I, I and and I know that so much has been done in his name. But as I go back home to Wyoming, it, it didn't get changed for the better there; it got worse. Oh. And so that that's a struggle there. Mm. Um, I didn't end up going back to Wyoming, and I think that might have been part of it. Yeah, because yeah. deep down inside, I, I, there was something that I knew, but I just I couldn't uh, during seminary. Uh, I had a really a powerful experience one day at, we had a retreat uh, in seminary for, it was a, a quiet day retreat on Ash Wednesday. And part of the retreat, they had invited us, anybody who wanted to, they could go talk to a spiritual director um, and share. And so I, you know, I, I sat and I prayed in quiet through the day and there was just something bubbling up inside of me and I didn't know what. And so I went and talked to uh, the spiritual director and she was so wonderful and listened. Um, and what had bubbled up was that feeling of intense loneliness that I had. Mm-hmm. And even though I had a dream and, and a vision for my life and I had something good to focus on, 
and so much was going wonderfully. I felt so intensely lonely. Mm -hmm. And she invited me to just go and talk to Jesus. And, you know, to, to, as a person, just go. So I went for this long walk and I out, I, I, was, I was walking around this, this city block, talking out loud and pouring out all of my, my pain and sorrows and all mm -hmm. these things. And, and when, I, when I did that, there was such a sense of peace and mm. calm. And I had imagined, you know, what I what I hoped and prayed for what was finding a person that I could love and who would love me and that we would have a life together and that. So that was that was what I did. And then um, and from that point on, I was able to let it go. I didn't feel that loneliness anymore. Mm. Um, I, I just went back to my life. I went on mission trips during the summertime. I did internships. I went back to school. The, the next year, I, I met a, a fellow student at the seminary who was brand new. And we, we instantly clicked, um, just being able to talk with each other about everything. Um, Shirley was, she had so many of the same interests and passions that I did, a lot of the same background experience that I had as, as a child and some differences, but we just connected at such a level that there was something there and we grew closer and closer as time went by and, and we did fall in love. And again, as I think about that now, there, there was a piece of that was still not missing, but, but, but in terms of just an actual relationship, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and we we did get engaged and we got married and and I enjoyed my life with Shirley. Mm -hmm. She was amazing. Um, we were both ordained shortly after that. Then we had a child. And in the midst of, of life and ministry and all of these new experiences, plus 9-11 mm -hmm. and ministering in the Washington, D.C. area through that and all of these things, life just was full. And, and there was no time to question myself or worry about things, but, but it was, we, we had a life that I had always hoped and longed for. And I was thankful for that. In the midst of that, what happened in the Episcopal church was we, we had a conflict that arose up in the Episcopal church when Gene Robinson um, was elected as a bishop. If you don't know Gene Robinson, he, he is the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. Oh. And when, when he was ordained, it, it, it caused an, a massive rift in the church. It was, it, it, there were churches splitting up. There, there are still churches that are divided and split up over it, uh, over the issue of having a homosexual as a bishop. And I, I lived through those fights in the most tangible way because I was in churches where we were, we were having these long conversations, very painful conversations, people leaving the church. There was so much grief going on. I had friends back home that were leaving the church that I grew up in, or not grew up in, that I, that I went to. Mm -hmm. And so it was so painful. And in the midst of that, there were all these conversations about homosexuality. And so we, we looked at all of the biblical fors and against and, and considerations. We, we considered every possible angle of it in terms of our culture, in terms of society, in terms of spirituality, theology, all of it. And, and again, the, those conversations raised a lot of things for me, but it was such a strange thing because I found myself siding a lot of times with the conservatives and with the ones that were breaking away because a lot of them were friends. Mm. And I, all I wanted to do was to keep people together. And so that was a real struggle. Mm. 
what I couldn't see in myself was, you know, all of this felt so painful, I thought, because I was seeing loved ones fight and pull away. Yeah. I couldn't see that what was really hurting inside of me was me, because every time I heard them say horrible things about gay people, they were saying it to me. Yeah. I, I heard the worst of it during that time. I also heard the best of it. Um, did you resonate something? with that at the time when you said they were talking about me? Did you know they were talking about you at that time? I did but not. In reflection, that. you know that, but you didn't see it then. Yeah. No, I, I, I had the proof that, uh, that I was straight because I was married. Right. And I had a child, <laughs> you know, so, and you know, that's that, proof. <laughs> that, that's it. That's another funny thing. When, when I got married, all of a sudden it felt like everybody in the world interacted with me radically differently um, than right. before that. I think right. there was always this strange question of what's this, this young adult who's not in a relationship with somebody, something's <laughs> wrong with him. That was gone. I was, uh, you know, people interacted with me in an entirely different world. Wow. So, Isn't that sad? I mean, it, it is. Sad. It is. <laughs> you're so, not a person so, unless you're coupled. <laughs> uh-huh. So it, it, it was such a, it was such a strange and, and a very painful time. Yes. You know, go, going through that there, so there were a lot of opportunities where I could have come and faced myself mm-hmm. and I, and I shut it down even tighter mm-hmm. every time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And those experiences of depression that I had earlier in life where I would just feel numb, I wouldn't mm-hmm. feel sad. I, I wouldn't feel, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I would generally, my, my parents would be happy to people generally, but there would be a numbness inside that was happening more and more and more and more. Mm. Um, and, and I think Shirley picked up on that long before I did, you know, that that was there. And I think she was worried about it. And she would try to encourage me to go get help. And I absolutely refused to do it. I wasn't going to do it. I, I was afraid of what would come up in those. And I think mm-hmm. internally there was something really afraid that would come up because it would mean the end of everything that I had, yes. I had appreciated. Had. Yes. Now you had a stake. I mean, you yeah. had a big stake to lose yeah i did Mm. and i didn't i didn't want to lose that Mm -hmm. so you know again uh, in the church again then then talk of of dealing with gay marriage in the church also came up and that brought it all back up again Mm -hmm. we had all these conversations and debates in the church and, and again i just kept locking down further and further and shutting down more and more and at some point i got to the point where I had to ask myself the question that I was most afraid that anybody would ask. And, and when I asked that question, there was a silent voice inside of me that said, I'm gay. Mm. What was and the question? The, the question was why? Mm. Why is it when I have all the things that I want, when I'm doing things that I love, when I have a family, why is there this unsettled numbness inside uh-huh, of me. Uh-huh. I, I really had to sit with that for a while. I didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody that for a, a while. I just had to sit with it mm-hmm. and, and test it out and say, okay, is that, is that possible? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the thing that, that moved me. And, and again, this is a, a step where somebody helped me along the way. I went to a, a conference um, for the church and we were in a large group setting 
and somebody had asked, what do you love about your church? And this, this other priest that was there talked about how he loved that the Episcopal church welcomed him and that he could be fully, you know, there as a gay man um, mm. and have his faith and have his life. And, and just hearing that broke open something in my heart that I couldn't explain. And so for the whole week of that conference, there was this part of me that wanted to ask, how did that happen? What, what brought you to that place? I was so curious. And I held it off and I held it off and I didn't talk to him. And on the last day we were leaving, we were going to be on the bus from this conference center to the airport together. And the bus was delayed. <laughs> And, and God I wink. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I finally got the courage up and I, and I, I went outside and said, can we talk? And I asked him about, you know, I said, you, you had mentioned this as part of your story. Can you tell me what that was like for you? And he very graciously shared his story. And so much of it was very similar to my own um, of, of coming out late in life, of having been married, having children, having mm-hmm. these things. And I, I said in that moment, I said, I think a part of me might be gay. Mm. It's interesting. I thought a, a part rather than, <laughs> but, but, yeah, and that was all it was. And he was just, he was so kind and, and he listened. And I shared some of the things that I had experienced um, growing up and that, and he was just, he was just so kind. And then, you know, we rode on the bus and we went our separate ways. But, but that experience as I was flying home, uh, I just thought I've got I've got to talk about this with Shirley. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. hold this in, and so I did mm-hmm. tell her when I returned, and that was the the, the hardest conversation I've ever uh, had. Uh, it, it was heartbreaking, and it was heartbreaking to see what that meant for her. And we 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 did everything we could to try to keep our marriage together. What what I wanted to to do was just accept myself. Uh-huh. But but she could see that that wasn't going to work because we couldn't go back to what we were before. Yeah. And so she immediately said, you need to get a therapist and you need to talk to the bishop. <laughs> I was a priest. <laughs> you need to talk, so. <laughs> right, right, get called to the bishop's office. <laughs> um, you know, well, cause yeah. I, yeah. And so, um, and so I did, I, I, I called my bishop. I said, can we talk? And so I went and talked with him and I didn't know what to expect. I was so, so very afraid. Mm. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if this meant the end of everything Yeah. Um, as a priest. Yeah. That wasn't the case. For, I mean, it, what, by that point, gay priests were active and, and accepted in the church, not in every place, but, but more and more. What, what absolutely amazed me about talking to him, and he's one of those people that helped me along the way, was that he was, he listened. He honestly mm-hmm. listened to to what was going on in my heart and in my mm. life. And he cared for me. Mm. And he told me that God loves me as I am. Mm. And I, I remember, I, I can tell you that as a priest, I have told thousands of people that God loves you, that God loves you unconditionally, that God loves you fully. Mm-hmm. And I could say that to anybody. Mm. I never could allow myself to hear it for myself. Mm-hmm. I was, I was so afraid of that. Mm-hmm. And, and even though I, I believed in, in a loving God, there was that part of me that I felt that it wasn't going to happen. And, and yeah. when he did that, I just, it, it was so, such an experience of, of love and compassion and grace 
to allow mm-hmm. myself to allow God to love me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was a very healing thing. And he mm-hmm. was so supportive of me. He, he was also caring of me to make sure that I didn't that I didn't rush too quickly to throw it out into the world immediately because there could have been all sorts of consequences for that. Mm-hmm. And I think he knew that I needed to get some sense of, of who I am, who I really am first before I could really address that. So mm-hmm. um, I did get a therapist and, and she was extraordinary um, mm-hmm. and so compassionate there were a lot of things that came up in those sessions. We talked a lot about my experience as a child and, and the things that I'd gone through. And there were other traumas that, that kind of wove into that. And we dealt with those too. What happened during that time was that, that numbness that I'd had, you know, for so many years, it was gone. Uh, I, I didn't have that anymore. It doesn't mean I don't have times where I'm sad or I don't feel depressed. Sure, that, sure. that feeling of just being locked three feet down yes. inside of my chest was gone and it's uh, never come back. Uh, so that was, that was a real gift of coming out. Uh, I, I, I did a lot of research online of how do people come out. I began to, to read stories, listen to things. You know, podcasts like this would have been the thing that, that I, I would have looked for at that time. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, weren't around, they weren't around yet at that point either. No. <laughs> but but, but I, I read what I could. And so it, it was helpful because there were all these stories of how people came out. I came out to my fa- my parents first by writing them a letter and it was this three page letter and uh, all of this. And I didn't hear anything back for weeks and weeks. And I was terrified what their response mm. was. Now I knew part of it was the post office doesn't respond quickly, in, you know, these days, but part of that was them holding on. When my parents did call me, they said, we don't really understand this, but we love you and we want you to do what you need to do. Oh. Uh, which, which was incredibly far, you know, far yep. from where they could have been yep. and where they might have been at different times in life. For a lo- longest time after that, they didn't really want to talk about that part of my life. They didn't want me to talk to them about it. But <laughs> do what you have to do, but don't tell me about it. Me, but that's right. You know, we, <laughs> don't we bring it around you, here. You know, but, <laughs> yep. Yeah, but 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 that that support changed over over time as they got that. So so that was an experience um, coming out to friends. I I, w- I talked first to friends that I knew would understand, and some who were gay, and just listening to their stories was was powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just felt like I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. In this. So so having people to talk to was such a tremendous help to me. Mm-hmm. I, I had a friend from seminary who had come out sort of in seminary, but, but lived fully out as a gay man, as a priest for, for years and years. And Stuart, he, w- he was a marvelous friend through all of this. And I, and I talked to him about it. Shirley and I, as, as we went through our relationship, decided that it wasn't going to work to stay married. Mm-hmm. We, we wanted to fully be able to care for one another and love one another, but but to have our separate lives. So we, we ended up separating um, and then getting a divorce. Um, But, but to this day, we still care for each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, I was very blessed to find a a, a man who 
I, I absolutely adore uh, during that time. And, and we started dating. And, and it's so funny that the experience of dating was unlike anything I ever imagined. Oh, I want to go back. To okay. 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 So, so, so one of the things my therapist encouraged me to do was to step out into the gay world, whatever that was. And, and she said to, you know, when she, she told me to go up when I visited my friend Stuart, go up to, to the, to Baltimore and just imagine yourself walking the way you would naturally walk. <laughs> And what's so funny was, is that I think she could pick up on just how tight like uh-huh. wound up I was. Uh-huh. Yep. And so I allowed myself to walk around the city as, as, as I would naturally do so. And it was the strangest feeling to, to just be able to, to not be that way. <laughs> And Did you swish a little bit or you tell me? You swished a little bit. You swished a little bit. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, the, you know, and, the, and I don't do that now, okay. regularly, except maybe. But I don't remember but, but seeing was, you swish when you came to the church during Easter. Right. <laughs> so, 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 but, but just, you know, I, it made me look at my reactions to things. There was one yeah. time when I was in a city and, um, and I thought, I'm going to go to a gay bar. Uh, and I had no idea what kind of den of iniquity I was going to be stepping into <laughs> going into this gay bar. I had all of my worst imaginations and I was so oh, terrified yeah. of, oh my uh, God, what if somebody hits on me or what if they'd say something or something? Uh, I ended up walking into this gay bar in Nashville and they had all of these TV screens up on the wall and all of them were playing Disney musicals. <laughs> And so they were all, you know, they're singing from oh Frozen and, and all of these things. People were singing along and I sat and I chatted and I had a fabulous time. And, and what I discovered is that the, the gay community is just so much fun and loving. Yeah. And it's, it's nothing like the things that I had imagined. That's you know, right. That's right. I had been told that it was. So my, my experience of stepping out into this part of my life has actually been very fun and joyful. And I remember one time Ed and I went to the movies and we were sitting next to each other. And, you know, the way guys sit in a movie, you, you kind of yeah. keep your arms in and you don't yeah. touch and you don't. Do. Yeah. I had I had my arms rested on the on the side rest and his arms were rested on his and our fingers touched. Aww. And in that moment, it was as if there was this and, and, and I didn't pull back my finger. Ah. And it was as if there was this electric charge that went all the way through my body. Oh, wow. And, and it just stayed there. And apparently it went that way through him. There's this, there's this wonderful graphic novel series, which is now a Netflix TV show called um, Heartstopper, mm. which is this lovely, lovely um, story of, of, of a gay boy in high school having actual relationships with people in a very healthy way. And, and there's this moment where they animate, where, you know, he touches it, this person that he's attracted to, and there's these little sparks and fireworks <laughs> that go off of their hands. And when Ed and I were watching, we said, that's us. That happened that's to us. me. <laughs> Sweet. You know? and, and to be able to, to, to fall in love in a way that was different than anything I had imagined before. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, mm-hmm. there's just such a sense of, of wholeness when mm-hmm. we're together. Mm. in a way that I can't even describe. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked me what, what, you know, now that we're married, they said, you know, what, what is it that you love about your spouse? I can list lots of things about them. And at the end of the day, none of those things would be the thing that, that that's there. It's there's, mm-hmm. there's something connecting us that I can't even describe. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's beautiful. That's, that's just hard to explain. 
Yeah, that is beautiful. And I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that your life was able to be met with empathy from people that didn't know your story, but mm -hmm. the love of God came through them to connect with you in the times where you felt the most numb and the most like disappearing. And yeah. gosh, I'm so glad you didn't disappear. <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah. And, and honestly, and Shirley brought this up, you know, I, I think that if I had continued just to just stay locked up the way that I was, mm. it would have been self-destructive. Yes. Either, either I would have acted out in some way that would have been destructive mm -hmm. or I would have had a heart attack or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and I'm grateful that I'm not in that place anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that even though the church had a, a somewhat negative impact on you, in, in the early beginning, that it was actually also the church that, that brought you through that your mm -hmm. connection to the church in some of our stories, the connection to church made us leave and denounce all religion and become, mm -hmm. you know, spiritual, not religious or atheist or whatever. And your story is so cool because, and that's why I so wanted to have you on the show because it's like your story started out with the condemnation of church and not being good enough for whatever reason to the church actually creating that space where you could then mm. be free to explore and to, to be involved and then to find the healing that you needed. And that's what Jesus is all about to come when you feel broken and to find out that your brokenness is not really brokenness. Yep. Yeah. You know? that you are not broken. The society is broken. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> In yeah. so many ways. <laughs> oh, that's such a I had an story. I had an, I had an experience one time and this was after I had come out and was starting to come out to friends and family, but not out within the church setting that I was in. I was invited to preach at an ecumenical service. And, and I was not going to come out of that ecumenical service. That's, that wasn't on my mind. But uh, the text for the day was the story of Jesus being at the table, eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees standing from afar, judging him and saying, how could he do that? And, you know, what was so strange was as I was preparing that sermon, I had to go through that inner voice within myself of, oh, how could you do that? How, and at that point, I was still very fearful of, am I a sinner? Am I going to hell? Am I, you know, for doing this? What broke open in that sermon was, and this was the substance of the sermon, was um, the sense of Jesus ate with the tax collectors and sinners, that's where he wanted to be. And I thought, if I'm a sinner, then at least I'm a sinner eating at table with dinner with Jesus. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and honestly, the people in that story that were judging them, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't grasp Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, I did. Mm -hmm. My being gay was not a sin. It was never a sin. Speak more about that. Uh, what the sin for me and this is kind of what came out of that. The sin for me was that here I was a beloved child of God and I couldn't allow God to love me fully mm. all those years. Yes. That yes. was a sin. Yes. Sin is the place where we are most divided and separated from God. And that was what was separating me. Mm. It wasn't that I was gay. 
it was all of the messages that I had internalized and put upon myself that said I could not be loved by anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did and, and when you talked about that earlier, and you were talking about that other people could love you and that you mm-hmm. wanted to be loved by other people. And, and I, I thought for a minute that, you know, another, another sin, I've talked to this to other people is that sometimes I believe that God, we don't think God sees us and it's because we don't see ourselves mm-hmm. and that we don't love ourselves. Therefore we almost push God away by saying, you don't love me, but it right. takes so much time for us to love ourselves after all mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I always love that preposition in that great command to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your mind and your soul and all, and your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. That's the clincher, man. As, <laughs> as. It doesn't happen separately. I can't, I couldn't get there. I thought, you know, I poured all of my love into loving my neighbor. Yep. I could easily love the homeless person, the broken person, yes. the addicted person, the person who's been rejected. I had no problems loving the people that even the world didn't love. Right. But if I couldn't right. love myself, there was no as there. Yeah. And yep. if you can't do that, you can't love God. Mm. Mm. such a journey such a journey you know not just to connect to our authenticity but to see how to make it a connection for our service and what we're supposed to now do with it you know Mm -hmm. oh my gosh this was beautiful i just i love you guy i just love you (laughs) i I love you too (laughs) well thank you i just you know it's it's just so weird how how people like when you talked about staying so locked up that the, that the, the truth is right in front of us and we cannot see it out of fear. We can't see it. And I believe that the other people who are still locked up in society are also living in fear of, of joining the sinners and feeling the retribution that they've been taught and turning that around. And I've talked about this ad nauseum probably on this podcast is that that is the, that is the hardest thing that's that's going to take that will to turn is to get other people to step out of that doctrine that they were preached to about and to be able to open it up to something that is more, more Jesus, yeah. more love, more God, and to see God in a whole different light. Because you're right that the, the Bible thumping God, we all grew up with that. And it's, well, I can't say all, but most of us did. <laughs> And it was so detrimental to our, our faith journeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad your faith journey exploded once, <laughs> once you were able to get back into church, it took a minute, but you know, you were yeah. certainly able to take advantage of that and move forward, which I'm glad for. Oh yeah. 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 You know, and, and I think so much of this has been in stages, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think I could have been out then and received the same love that, that I received. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I, I keep getting parts, but what I get is the daily bread that keeps me going to get to that place. Mm-hmm. I didn't get everything mm-hmm. all at once, but, but what I needed, I got. Ah, oh, see now that opens up that prayer so much more for me, just that you said that, that we get our daily bread and it's not about food necessarily. It's, it's really about anything in our life that we need, we will get it when we need to get it and it will be available to us. Wow. You're preaching by the way. That's a- <laughs> you're 
kitchen right here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. We will get it when we need it. And if we could just lean into that patience, which is not Mm -hmm. easy for Midge, by the way, (laughs) the foster dog that we have now is so impatient because he doesn't believe he's going to get his daily bread. He really believes everything is a competition. And we've had to, I have, I, I woke up one morning with this epiphany and I said to Sue, I said, when we feed him the next time, I want to get the food in his bowl and I want to stand by his crate so he knows it's coming because we feed in birth order, sort of like a respect thing. And you got to you got to start with somebody. We so we feed in birth order. And just the fact that I stood I stood inside this little kennel that we have for him with his food. So he knew he had it and he stopped mm-hmm. lunging at the kennel and barking horribly at the other dogs because mm-hmm. he knew he had his food. And he was going to get it when it was time. And that was a game changer. And that's, you know, that opens for me that, you know, when I think I don't have enough or when I worry that I can't, I don't know how to work this out. I don't know how to make this happen. You know, even like with the, with the memoir, you know, where will the money eventually come from? How will it happen? Well, just take a breath, you know, take a breath and everything will be revealed in the timing that it's supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. And, and it comes on so many different levels that we just have to be open and watch for the incremental steps that come to us. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. This is all so good. So good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, so as we're, as we're coming to a close, I, I wonder, is there anything that feels incomplete to you, anything that you still feel like a part of your story that needs to be said, that you want to bring out anything that's still on your mind that you want to have mm, us to hear mm. from you. I think this has been wonderful. Oh, yeah, there's, I, yeah, there's, there's, there's masses of other things that could be talked about, but I, I think this has been absolutely wonderful. We'll make a list and I'll bring you back. Right. Sure. <laughs> I love repeat, a repeat visitor. <laughs> we'll go deeper with, with Ken and Ernest Graham. <laughs> this has been delightful. And I'm so thankful that you said yes to, to come on to the show because it, you know, when I met you the first time, it was a short amount of time because you came in to fill in for Father Joe during Easter. And that's when I first met you. And I thought, man, there's kinship there. I just feel, I feel connected to you. And not just because I learned you were gay, although I was ecstatic that a gay priest was coming to fill in for him. Cause I'm very, you know, finally coming back to church. I've been very protective of who I listened to. And I didn't, I would listen to Father Joe, but other than that, I didn't want to listen to anybody else. So, so fine. Now you have to have a liver transplant and you're leaving. And now I have to listen to all these different people that caused a lot of stress for me. (laughs) And so when I, when I heard that a gay priest was coming, I go, okay, I can go in there and listen to this sermon. I don't have to worry. (laughs) He certainly won't say nothing that I don't want to (laughs) hear. So, but I felt that kinship and, and the more I get to know you and the more I just like the essence of you. And I like the person that you are and, and, um, and it, there's that that kinship, but because we are both gay, but there's also just this spiritual connection that feels mm-hmm. so good, just so good. And I, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful. Thank you. You're welcome. So, so we thank you for coming on to the show. And um, I also usually ask um, our guests at the very end of the show if they're when you were struggling so much during that time, and I know that the piece of, you know, getting your daily bread when, when you needed it and you couldn't have come out then, but is there anything early on when you were in such a numb state and so painful, 
would there have been anything that somebody could have said to you to make it a little bit better during those years? If there had been voices of people saying, you are good mm-hmm. just the way you are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that could have made a world of difference mm-hmm. um, in terms of being able to accept myself earlier. Yeah, yeah. And, and to know that there, you know, and I think, what, one of the questions that you often ask is, what would you share with other people? That mm-hmm. would, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, to know that no matter where you are, there are people who can, will, and do love you. Mm-hmm. And, and even if you can just pray to ask God to reveal who those people are, who are the people that you can trust, who are the people that are already listening to you and care, um, that, that, that that's so important to know that you're not mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. Yes, all the way around. <laughs> so thank you again. I appreciate thank you. Thank you, Mitch. And Mitch, God, God bless you and, and all that you do. I love I love the message that you're putting out into the world and the way that you connect with people. And it is amazing. So God bless you for your work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I want to thank you listeners for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Canon Graham, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. If you are listening to this podcast and are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with the God of your understanding, if you identify as LGBTQIA+, or not even sure if you're gay, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Check out our Facebook group, Gay with God, where we do monthly Zoom groups entitled My Faith Journey. And if you need support to help you through your coming out or faith journey, go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned and see how you can be a part of the Gay with God community. Love y'all. See you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.